Can we uh, begin this morning? Um, did you all enjoy praying that last stanza? Amen. I really enjoyed that. Amen. Draw and what? Yeah. And then? How much? Until? Don't you want to be drawn by the Lord that much? Amen. To the point that the cup overflows to the brim? I want to be filled that much. Let's uh, begin this morning by uh, turning to page 33 and reading some verses together. And what I'd like us all to do is let's uh, read the title of the message, which is at the top of your verse sheet on page 33, uh, and then we'll read in an enjoyable way uh, God's life-giving, uh, dispensing word for our nourishment and encouragement. Okay, all together on the title of message four. The victory... Amen. Amen. Let's have all the ninth grade sisters stand up and read Revelation 12:11. With a strong spirit, everyone else saying amen. And they Amen. 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 Can we have the young sisters read that one more time? Uh, I think that was a warm-up phase, and I think those who are saying amen were also in warm-up phase. Amen. Sisters. And they... Amen. Amen. They overcame him because... They were strong? No. Because they had a good day. No. Because they weren't in a public school, they were in a home school. No. no, because they weren't in a home school, they were in a public school. No. Why did they overcome him? No matter how you feel this morning, no matter what your mood is, the blood of the Lamb is your stand. Amen. Stand on the Lord's redemption. Amen. And then declare with the uttered word, Christ's defeat over the enemy. And let that be the word of your testimony. Amen. And then it says here, they love not their soul life even unto... Death. Unto... Death. They love not their soul life even unto death? They love not their soul life during all situations except for when their younger brother entered into their room and messed up their bed. No, they love not their soul life even unto death. Amen. Don't you love this word, they overcame him? You know who an overcomer is? An overcomer is someone who keeps coming to the Lord based on the blood of the Lamb. Just keep coming to the Lord again and again. Amen. Let's have the 10th grade sisters read 2 Corinthians 12, 9 all together. Standing, please. With a good exercise spirit. And he, he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Amen. And my power is perfected in Amen. Amen. Very good. Juniors, Hebrews 4.13, standing. And there... Amen. Amen. Could we have you all just read that one more time with a strong spirit? And as you read, think about it. 
think about these words. You know, some words in the Bible, uh, they're like milk. They're so enjoyable. They go down within you so pleasantly. Other verses like this are like meat, and they affect you. They're a little more solid, but you take it in, and you realize, wow, this is healthy for my whole life. Amen. Sisters, Hebrews 4.13. And there... Amen. Amen. Let's have all the seniors, Matthew 14, 19, standing. Amen. 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 He looked up where? He looked up to the heavens. That's very significant. The Lord himself took five loaves and two fish. And I don't know if you've ever read this portion, but right in the middle is this little phrase. He looked up to the heaven. That's very significant, and we'll touch that. Let's see someone who couldn't look up to the heavens by having the serving ones read Luke 13, 11. Luke 13, 11. And, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and she was bent double and could not stand erect at all. Amen. A woman had a spirit of infirmity, a demon, for 18 years. That's older than some of you. Can you imagine? And she was bent double. This was her life. bent double. All she could see was the earth. Never unable, never able to look up to the heavens as the Lord did in the previous verse. Okay, let's all read together Romans 8, 28 through 29. And we know... Those... Amen. 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 Well, sisters, before we get into this message, I want to speak a particular word to those of you who have a sense of fear whenever you think about the Lord's coming. Is there anyone in this room who's like this? You hear about Revelation. Just turning to the pages of Revelation make you scared. If you ever have a little fear concerning the Lord's coming back and whether you'll be ready when he comes, raise your hand. Okay? If you feel you're among us, but you're never fearful about the Lord's coming, and you feel at complete rest concerning your readiness before the Lord. Dare I ask for a raise of hands? I, th I think a good number of us have this little fear. And what I would like to do in a very brief way, give eight points, most of which were spoken last night, regarding this matter of how, Tom asked the big question, how to be a part of the crushing, smiting stone that comes back and destroys the great image. And I will read these, and so those of you who have this particular fear, I ask, get your writing pen ready, and you may want to write really fast, because I just am going to mention these briefly, okay? The first point is this. The Nazarite vow is composed of our consecration to the Lord and is carried out by our having companions and having a heart 
that is a duplication of God's heart. If we pray, Lord, make your heart's desire my heart's desire, you will experience a transformation in your being that will compel you to see God's heart's desire. Okay, point one. If you don't get everything, I believe for sure there are some serving ones who are especially talented at, at writing quickly. Just, uh, just uh, bump them after the meeting. Point number two. Realize that if God could use teenagers to maintain his testimony and turn the age, he can use me. I like this point because it turns our eyes off of who we are and what we can do with our inability and focuses us on God himself. Point three, realize that the kingdom that fills the whole earth in Daniel 2 is likened to a man who sows seed in Mark 4. And that this man has full confidence in the seed of life within you to grow and produce the kingdom. Point four. God has endowed you with the ability to choose. And that when you make a decision for God, that decision is extremely powerful in the hands of God. Once you set your heart like Daniel, it's not a matter of how you feel but of whether you've changed your decision. And although this wasn't spoken last night, I'd like to add this last phrase. So ignore your feelings with regard to your consecration. Once you've made your consecration to the Lord. Realizing that God, he just needs your consent and then he'll do the rest. Point five. Realize your day-to-day -day struggle. Contacting the Lord. Sometimes failing. And being lifted up by your companions. And then going to the Lord again is the divine history within human history that will produce the smiting stone. Isn't that encouraging? I like that point because sometimes it's only when we're on the mountaintop where we feel like God does anything for us. This point points us to the fact that much of the work of what God is doing within human history in a divine way is in your day-to-day, -day, mundane, seemingly trivial transactions with the Lord in small ways. Point number six, the corporate stone is composed of overcomers, vital groups, 
Zion and the body of Christ. And Brother Tom pointed out last night a very key point here. As amazing as it is, sandwiched in between overcomers, Zion, and body of Christ is this small little phrase, vital groups. What does that mean? That means it is not a small thing to have companions with whom you can pray, you can open to, and whom you can go on together with. Point number seven, and this point was spoken to me by Brother Tom after the meeting, but he said he wished he could have spoken it to you all, and that is this. Luke 12, 32 says, and I believe some of you would be encouraged by making this a, a plaque or a frame on your bedroom wall. It says this, do not be afraid. Little flock, because your father has been well pleased to give you the kingdom. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe the first half of the verse that says, do not be afraid? If you believe God's word, you have to believe that this phrase spoken by the Lord to us, to not be afraid, can be taken at face value with full confidence for your full assurance the rest of your life. Of course, we know the verse before that says, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. And so there's still the need of cooperation on our part, but we should never be afraid. And then the last point is actually a point from the cabin time last night in the ministry reading portion and this should be point eight. And that is, Brother Lee said, the controlling vision of the great human image being destroyed by the smiting stone has kept him from the world for more than 60 years. And that utterance is not verbatim. If you want to get the verbatim utterance, feel free to go back to the cabin time reading. And that's the last point. And why do I appreciate that point? Is because if you see that human history is basically summarized by this image and that man today is building up giving his life to build up this image and that one day Christ will come back and destroy this image as a smiting stone, then your heart won't be invested in the things of the world because you see that it's destiny, the destiny of human government, the destiny of human history with all of its pleasures, all of its organizations, all of its ambitions, all of its desires, its strife, its entertainment, its pleasure, all of it will one day be crushed, not only by Christ as the stone, but by those who join with Christ to be his bride, to crush the human image, and that stone becoming eventually the kingdom of God that fills the entire earth. Okay? How do you feel about those points? You feel good? Don't you feel encouraged? Amen. Be a Nazarite. Amen. Trust in the seed of life. Amen. Have companions. Do not be afraid. For the Father delights to give you the kingdom. Okay, let's all turn now to page 31, message 4.
And what we come to in this message is the victory of the young overcomers over the seduction of idol worship and over the covering that hinders people from seeing the ruling of the heavens. So in the last two meetings, we've covered two chapters. We covered chapter one of Daniel, and we saw the victory over the demonic diet. Then in chapter two, we saw the overcoming over the blinding that prevents man from seeing the divine history within human history. Both this morning and tonight, we're going to cover a total of four chapters of Daniel. This morning we'll cover chapter 3 and chapter 4, and then tonight we'll cover chapter 5 and chapter 6. So I like to begin with this, uh, this outline. Let's just go ahead and get straight into it. How about all together on Roman numeral 1? Daniel... Please take note of this definition of idol. An idol is anything that replaces Christ and usurps man. Brother Tom gave this definition last night. An idol is anything that replaces Christ and usurps man. This is another definition from the life study of 1 John. Anything that is a substitute or a replacement for the true God and eternal life is an idol. Anything that is in a replacement or a substitute for the true God is an idol. This may not impress you as much yet, but I like to linger here just a little bit. An idol is anything that's a substitute, a replacement for your worship. Anything within you, in your life, that takes the place of worship in you is an idol. If there's something that takes that place, it occupies you, it usurps you, and it takes the place that Christ should take in you, that is an idol. An idol is a replacement for Christ in your life. You know the story, and I think you probably read it this morning. That is, in Daniel chapter 3, you have this great image that's set up. Did everyone read that? Just a raise of hands. Okay, good. Did anyone not read it? Just so I, I know if I should tell the story in more detail. Okay, th there's a few. Um, imagine it. Daniel chapter 2. This king, he has a dream and he forgets it. The content of the dream is this great human image with a head of gold. You know, if you read Daniel, what Daniel said to the king, he said, you, O king, are the head of gold. No doubt, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, probably said, oh, we can stop right there. <laughs> I don't know if he even heard the matter of the stone crushing that whole image. And so what does he do in the next chapter? He builds this 90-foot image. 90-foot. And it's of gold. For everyone to bow down. He was probably, maybe the, the Bible doesn't say this, but who knows when he began to plan that image. He, he just was... There's the very real possibility that that dream influenced what he did in the next chapter. 
you know, you may not think 90 feet is that tall, but let's say this is the human image, and um, I fear a little bit because my drawing ability yesterday uh, proved itself deficient. Okay. Okay, human image. Human image. Human image. No, not a gingerbread cookie. Okay, 90 feet. Okay, let's just do a little bit of calculation. If this is 90 feet, and we were to break this up into nine units, 10 feet each, it would probably be like 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Okay. Okay, so let's say these are 10 feet increments. Um, how tall are you? Maybe, maybe uh, four feet. Five foot three? Okay, five foot three. Okay, uh, forgive me. The, the shortened height meant nothing. So if you're five foot three, that means you're about the half of, half of this, right? Let's put you a bit above. Okay? Okay, so picture. Young sister, image. Get the sense of size difference? Picture. Young sister, image, 90 feet in the plain of Dura, there was a golden image for everybody to worship. What a, what a proud person. You know, what if you came to the retreat and during the first message I stood up here and I said, I'd just like to begin by letting you know that I made a really big image of me. Um, and so to begin this conference, I would like us to all go out and see it, to dedicate it. We should celebrate this new day. Me. <laughs> and then, to make matters worse, you have King Nebuchadnezzar as the ruler. I mean, he's the ruler. You know, and I'm not even quite sure if he prepped everyone of what was going to happen. But if you read the verses, it says that he called all the satraps, called all the prefects, called all the law officials, called all the treasurers, called all the governors, gathered all the people, and then someone made a loud declaration and said, all peoples, all languages, all nations, at the sound of the trumpet, the harp, the lyre, the bagpipe, when you hear that, at that very hour, everyone needs to bow down and worship. Can you believe? If you were there, you'd be standing next to people like Governor Schwarzenegger, next to senators, next to police officials, maybe next to your high school teachers. Everyone was doing it. Young sisters, this age is an age where everyone's doing it. When Brother Lee uses this word tide of the age, why does he use that word tide? It's like an ocean flow. Why? Because everyone's doing it. To not do it is to stand out. I want to make an impression on you. To worship God is the greatest thing you can do as a human being. You think worshiping God is a small thing. Maybe if I was there, I, I, I might because of the influence, bow down. And it wasn't just that everyone was doing it, but as if it wasn't enough, Nebuchadnezzar gave the repercussions 
the consequence of not bowing down. And that is, whoever in that hour does not bow down, that person will be thrown into the burning furnace of fire. How, how would you be? I, I might do this. As soon as I heard the trumpet, I might go, bow down real quick. Okay, no fire. Just, just don't let me touch the flames. That's it. And don't let me be seen by everybody who's doing it. I want to read a statement to you that Brother Lee made in the Life Study of Romans. And it says this. Never think that worshiping God is an insignificant matter and that glorifying him is trivial. This means a great deal to our human living. You know, when man was created, he was created to stand on his two feet. Do you know why? It's so that he can look to the heavens and honor God. By creation, by design, you were made to look to the heavens to honor God. Honoring God, worshiping God, is not some peculiar, strange, spiritual thing. It's the most human thing you could ever do. You know, maybe someday you'll be in class, maybe biology class. You should turn to the young girl next to you and say, do you know why we can stand on two feet? Why? It's so that we, unlike all the beasts of the earth, which are on fours and can only focus on the things of the earth, can look to the heavens and honor God. And I honor God not because I'm spiritual. I honor God because I'm human. And I like to let you know, you have the privilege by being a human being to look to the heavens. That's to honor God. Both this morning and tonight and tomorrow morning, we're going to be talking about things that are very human to your life. Almost nothing we say during these next few meetings is just something that you should relegate to some compartment in your brain of, oh, that's when I'm in church life mode. Do you ever think this way? I have my church life mode. Amen. Then I have my school mode. However you act. Church life mode, amen. School mode, iPod, oh, yeah. Church life mode, oh, I love the Bible. School mode, did you see that movie last night? Oh, man, it just came out, and we saw the opening. We were right there. I like to ask this morning that both modes be taken completely away. Amen. Do you realize you can honor God and thank God? You know, Brother Lee in that life study says that the source of wickedness is that man doesn't honor God, thank God, serve God, or worship God. He even makes this statement, and that is, the source of divorces and immorality on this earth is because people do not thank and glorify God. And then a few sentences later, he makes this statement. The best way, if you're about to lose your temper, to be freed from your disposition is to thank God. You know, one day I was in class and I was sitting next to someone and we knew one another and uh, we got our midterms back and I don't know if you ever have this experience 
um, where you get your midterm back and you're sitting next to someone and you, you see what you got and your eyes are just kind of drawn to what they got. And their eyes are drawn to what you got. So anyway, we both got our test back. It was a tough class for me. It was a hard class. And uh, the person next to me just kind of turned their paper toward me. It's not like I even looked. It's like they had to show me. And they got like a 99 or 100 on the test. A 99 or 100. And I got like a 76. I still remember the range. I was like in the 70s. Do you know the feeling of sitting in class when you're in the 70s and someone has the audacity to turn their paper and go, oops, uh, oh, I got 99. <laughs> it's a really good day. How are you doing? That's terrible. You feel awful. But you know what? Right then, as I looked at my test, I just, I, I don't know why it even popped out. I just said, thank you, Lord. I looked in prayer to the heavens. You know, I could have been a beast. Oh! <laughs> what? That's not kind. I got a 76, you got a 100. That's not fair. Okay, so you're smarter. So what do you prove by that? Beasts just going at it with one another. You know, a few hours later, that person came up to me and said something so kind. Just said, you know what? I've, I've had classes like this before. And, you know, I'm older and I've taken more, more courses than you. So, so don't be discouraged. Isn't that kind? Instead of the next time I see him, it's like, oh, you just wait next time. I'm going to get 100, and I hope you get less than me. <laughs> you know, that's meaningless. That's beasts living on the earth. When you bow down to an idol, you're a beast. And you lose your standing, your privilege as a human being to honor God. Okay, let's all read point A. Nebuchadnezzar, 60 cubits, meters in height. Sent word to come to the dedication. All the young sisters, high school, 9th through 12th, point B. Daniels. Altogether, point C. The three young overcomers responded to Nebuchadnezzar was impolite. So we know the story. That is. Shadrach, according to how they're called in this chapter, Meshach and Abednego, we know their God-given names, Azariah, Mishael, Hananiah. These three, as companions, didn't bow down. They didn't relinquish their God-given privilege as a human being to do what everyone there should have done, and that is to worship the unique God. Every human being should worship God. Every human being should worship God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you just have to be religious to worship God? No. By creation, we were designed by God to worship. You know, you may think this matter of beasts looking down 
and human beings looking up is just something that's, well, that's something the brothers are just concocting. Actually, it's not true. You may say, well, there are some beasts that look up. You know, coyotes, when they howl, they look up. <laughs> Ho! They do that. Actually, there's a, there's a very real reason they do that. It's because vocally, they cannot project their voice when their head is straight. And so in order to lift their voice so they can be heard, they have to lift it up. But it's an unnatural maneuver. The most comfortable maneuver and restful placement for their head is forward. By design, you're up on your feet. So you can look to the heavens and honor God. Oh, thank God. Worship God. Honor God. So eventually there were some, they observed these ones who didn't bow down, told the king, and it said the king went in a rage and a fury. Are those the two words? Yes. Rage and fury. You know, do you think he just kind of did this? Oh, you, you mean there are three people who didn't bow down to my 90-foot image? Okay, well, hmm. No, it wasn't like that. It doesn't even say he got mad. What? You're kidding me. Like that. I don't know what rage and fury. You know, why use both? Why not just say he went into a rage? That would impress me enough. He says, rage and fury. <laughs> what? You think you're not worshiping God. Satan just kind of goes, oh, huh, that's, well, I got another six billion people. What's, what's three? What in the world was Nebuchadnezzar so mad about? He had all the people, languages, and nations there. Is it not enough to have this huge image and everybody there bowing down? You think it's only to God that a few who keep his testimony are important. No. If you're the only one in this room who says, I won't bow down, and you set your heart to worship God, it's almost as if the whole focus of Satan is on you. Of course, we can't stand alone. But if there's you and a few companions, you can stand against the rage and fury that is thrown at you. So eventually, we see that Nebuchadnezzar, he does this. He starts talking to them. You know, these were people he knew by this time. And so he says, you know what? I said bow down. I'll give you a second chance. If when everything plays, the music plays, and you bow down, very well then. If you don't bow down, then I'll throw you into the furnace. You know, the title of this message is not the victory over Id idol worship. I don't know if you saw that. It's the victory over the seduction of idol worship. You know what that means, seduction? The meaning of seduction, and I think it's just worth my actually getting the actual definition. The meaning of seduction is this. I don't see it readily right here, but I can remember, for the most part, seduction is to draw away from principle and duty. 
to draw away from principle and duty. Okay, did you get that? And so to be seduced is to actually be drawn away. To be drawn away, okay? The second chance that Nebuchadnezzar gave to the young overcomers, that was seduction. It's not just the idol worship that needs to be overcome. It's the seduction that needs to be overcome. You know, when you go to class, maybe there's someone sitting next to you, and they're listening to some defiling song. It mentions things like this and that. Words I would dare not even utter out of my mouth. But she's just sitting there. You're sitting here. And the fact that she's listening to it, maybe that's idol worship. And maybe to overcome not participating in that is to overcome idol worship. But what is it to overcome the seduction of idol worship? Maybe day one she sits there and she's like this. And that's it. Then day two, it's like this. Oh, this is my song. <laughs> and you're like, okay. And then day three, it's like this. Oh, hey, this song is really good. You want to listen to it? Oh, no, no, no. I am a Nazarite. Okay, no problem. You don't have to listen to it. But boy, are you missing out. Then day four, she leaves the iPod on the desk and you can hear the noise coming out. And it just so happens to be one of those days where you just need a little, a little pickup. And there's something about the words coming out that are picking you up. Maybe it's the beat. And as you're listening, it's like, that is good. I could go for a little bit of that. Pretty soon, what's the seduction? It's the drawing that comes. It's the second chance. You may not think the matter of companions is that important. But I have to let you know, in an age when everyone is doing it, with an atmosphere of seduction, you cannot stand alone. Guaranteed. You know, maybe you go down from the mountain and you're just a, I don't know what kind of person you are. Some people, they're just movie watchers. They just love to watch movies. And so you're there, maybe you're watching one of your movies, maybe it's a DVD, and uh, you just have this little feeling within after being at the conference, uh, it didn't just taste quite as good. But you tell the Lord, tell the Lord, talk to the Lord, tell him, Lord, I like to say something to you I would never say to my serving one, and that is, I love DVDs. I love them. I can't live without them. If I don't have my DVD per day or per week, I just can't live. I know it's an idol. I know it's a replacement. I know it's a substitute. You take it away from me, though. I can't live. Talk to the Lord that way. But maybe the seduction is too strong, too powerful. That's when you need to pick up the phone and call a companion. Not only have a companion, be a companion. And maybe you'll get together with some sisters. And you know, a companion does not need to be one of your buddy buddies. Brother Lee makes the point, the reason we need companions is twofold. One is to strengthen us. Two is to match us with someone because we're too independent. You know what that means? That means even your mom, of all people. 
could be companions. I know some of you, your thought is, pray with my mom? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. That's okay. How about your dad? Pray with my dad. My dad's not even in the church. Okay. Bump the serving one sitting next to you and let them know, sometime this week, you have to call me. You have to. I know in the church in Irvine, I heard that there's like eight serving ones and four young sisters, right? That's a ratio of two to one. If I were a young sister, I'd get with two of these and say, okay, you came to this conference for the purpose of me. So what that means is you need to call me Monday, you need to call me Tuesday, okay? We're good? Great. Eight o'clock a.m., call me. Call me! However, you get together with some companions. And let's say you're struggling with this matter of DVDs. And you're with your companions and you just decide to open up a little bit. And you just say, you know what? I just have to do this. I have to listen. Or maybe you have a worldly friend. Maybe your parents aren't together. Maybe you have a health issue that's difficult on you. But going back to the DVD, you begin to just open it up. And you tell the sisters, sisters, tell me once and for all, can I watch DVDs or not? What would you say if you were a young sister? Nope, nope, mm -mm. no DVD, packed, remember? <laughs> we made a pact after the conference, Nazarite. <laughs> Hananiah, you're Hananiah, you're Azariah, you're Mishael, I'm Daniel. You will not watch DVDs, got it? Good. What is a vital group? A vital group is where you can come together and you open it up. Maybe one sister listens and says, I hate to admit it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. So maybe another sister says, well, how many do you watch per week? <laughs> and one sister goes, I watch three. And then another sister goes, can we reduce it to two? No, I can't reduce it to two. Maybe another sister says, you know, I just really enjoyed that song that says, not the crushing of the idols, with its bitter void and smart, but the beaming of his beauty, the unveiling of his heart. Sisters, I don't know about you, but I can't crush my idols. And according to that song, it says, not the crushing of the idols. What do you say, we just have a little prayer together, that his face could beam? And that's all. You end your time. And you go back watching, because that's all you know how to do. But you find that week, something of the Lord's beauty has appeared to you and attracted you. And what was seducing you was counteracted by his attraction through the prayer together. They stood together against that horrible situation and preserved the testimony of the worship of the unique God. Okay, let's go on to the next point. C1, all together. Together on two. If they
And so, you know, when they answered the king, it was very bold and it was very impolite. They didn't take the second chance. They said this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not have to answer you in this matter. For our God will deliver us. And even if he does not deliver us, we will not bow down to you. This point shows in a very enlightening way, this is so encouraging, that their answer to the king was still somewhat natural. And they were short in their experience of God's economy. Why? Because God does not need to deliver them from the fiery furnace. Rather, what God wants to do is he wants to join them in that furnace, make it a pleasant place, and make the negative element of that environment of no effect to them. Our concept is we need to be delivered out of things. If only I had different parents. I know there are some young people, they're really distraught within that their parents are poorer than other parents. I know there's young people like this. That sister's parents drive a BMW. We drive a Vega. <laughs> I wish I had other parents. Their family has a four-bedroom house in upscale neighborhood. We live in a condo. If only the Lord would deliver me out of my condo to a big house, I could follow the Lord much easier. I could have my own room for morning revival. I could invite saints more to my house. You know what? That's a natural concept. God does not want to deliver you out of your environment, out of your circumstances. He wants to join you in your circumstance and be with you. Why? Because God's economy is to bring you through things that he with you could join with you and constitute you. And in that environment, as you begin to enjoy his presence, enjoy himself and take the Lord in, who is with you in the fiery furnace, you become more a part of that smiting stone that will return. If you see this, you will realize Romans 8 that says all things work together for good to those who love God. And in every environment, you'll thank God. Oh, this encourages me so much. You think we brothers don't have circumstances that are difficult? I believe you young sisters have certain circumstances that only you know. Things that trouble you. Some of the things, they get under your skin. And there's others of them, when they come your way, it's just too hard to handle. The Lord wants to join you. Would you let him in? Into your circumstance. Eventually, Nebuchadnezzar was in a rage. He was so mad, he said, heat up the furnace seven times hotter. He got some of his strong men, and as they were throwing them into the furnace, they burned up. That's how hot and how urgent things were. Eventually, they went in, and Nebuchadnezzar looked into that furnace, and he saw not three, he saw four. Oh, may all of you sisters, when you're together as companions and you're fellowshipping with one another, have the sense that though you're going through things, you have the feeling it's not just us four here. It's not just us three here. Sisters, don't you sense there's someone else with us? As a vital group, they went through the furnace with the Lord. Who could do this? That's God's economy. Eventually, they were called out of the furnace. Their clothes were smelled. Not a hair was singed which means that the fire 
the negative element of the environment had no effect on them. When the Lord is in your circumstances, he makes it so that the negative element of your environment has no effect. Is it still a hard situation? Surely it's hard. Do you wish you could get out? Many times you just have the feeling, I just want to get out. But you have the sense, the Lord is making it a pleasant place. And the fire is not singeing you because the Lord is there. Paul asked the Lord three times to take a thorn away from him. And the Lord responded, my grace is sufficient for you. You know how Paul responded? He said, most gladly will I boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ might tabernacle over me. That means he was well pleased. He was happy to be in his circumstances with the Lord enjoying grace. Okay, so for the sake of time, and although I haven't adequately touched uh, the next one, um, I'd like to just, uh, let's, let's close out Roman numeral one. Point D, all together. Point one. Nezer was astonished to see. Came near to the door of the blazing furnace of fire and called the young overcomers come out of the fire and saw that the fire okay and then let's just we'll just read roman numeral two i'd like to tell the story briefly give some application for our encouragement and enjoyment on this point all together roman numeral two just the bold face What we see in chapter 4 is that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in that dream, he saw a beast. Actually, was it in the dream he saw the beast or did he just see a, a tree? He saw a tree in the dream. And then there was a watcher who said, cut down the tree to the stump, but leave the stump. Then Daniel was brought forth. And he interpreted the dream for the king. And the interpretation appalled Daniel. And he said, King, may this only happen to your enemies. In a spirit of submission to authority, despite Nebuchadnezzar's being such an awful king, Daniel was there in such a submissive attitude as a Nazarite with the reality of having the long hair, being under the headship of God. He told the dream, the interpretation of the dream, and said that Nebuchadnezzar, that his kingdom would be taken from him and he would be driven out as a beast. And so then he encouraged the king, giving him a warning that your prosperity may be prolonged. Do righteousness. King Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen. And 12 months later, eventually, God taught him a lesson, which he learned. And this portion actually concludes the record of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. It ends with this lesson. A lesson that I hope we all would get a lesson that actually will touch the beginning of tonight's message. And that is this, the heavens do rule. That there is a God in the heavens. In chapter three, you have a proud king with a big image causing everyone to worship it 
in chapter 4 by the end, Nebuchadnezzar learns the lesson that to worship idols makes you a beast. And that to look to the heavens causes reason to return to you. And so what happened to Nebuchadnezzar after 12 months is he was driven out as a beast. He grew claws. There were feathers on him. And he ate the grass for seven periods of time, which was probably seven weeks. Isn't that awful? You know, pride makes you a beast. Idol worship makes you a beast. What if there were five sisters in your cabin and then you woke up one morning and one of the sisters wasn't there? And then you looked out your window and all you heard was this kind of scrunching on grass. And you said, sister so-and-so, what are you doing? They didn't even answer. It's like their reason was gone. They were just there eating the grass. Claws, feathers, they were a beast. If you realize this, that what the world is doing in its tide of worshiping other things and having replacements and substitutes is making them a beast, you will treasure that you're a man who can look to the heavens. After that period of time, it says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked to the heavens and my reason returned to me. There's an order here that's very significant. Looking to the heavens and honoring God causes your reason to return to you. It even says in the Bible, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's a great thing to fear God. So eventually, the big lesson that Nebuchadnezzar saw was that there is a God in the heavens controlling all of the events of the universe. And so let's conclude with point number D on the outline. Just scroll your eyes all the way down to the bottom. And we'll just read this, and then we'll conclude. Daniel and... As those who This next point is worth memorizing together. Is revering God. To revere God is to fear God, to trust in Him, consider Him, Him in everything. Remember that He the one created us. Amen. How about let's just take a moment and with our neighbor, just have a little actually, how about just just alone? Uh, rather than with our neighbor, let's just take a moment and uh, how about we just have one minute for everyone just to close your eyes and just pray a little bit to the Lord and open your heart to the Lord and just thank Him, worship Him, let Him know He's better than all the idols. Ask Him to draw you to Himself if you feel that way. Tell him quietly what's on your heart, what's on your mind. Anything troubling you, just give that to him and ask him to come into your environment and make the fire of no effect. Just have a little prayer opening to the Lord, to worship the Lord and to thank him.